0: Always, this is Fox. Welcome. This will be your September conversation. Sorry to have skipped August, but it was a really busy time. I actually buckled down and finished Casey Court number nine. I'm so excited. So, the title of Casey Court number nine is going to be Poisoned, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that in a moment. I hope that you guys are staying safe and staying well and doing what you can. Um, It's been a hard time here, and if I'd known I was going to be isolated this long, I would have prepared better. Don't know how I would have done that, but somehow I would have figured it out. Anyway, so I did buckle down um, and finish uh, the ninth book in the Casey Court series. It's a little bit longer than some of them, but not as long as the first one. There was a lot of story to tell. The main characters are Casey, of course. Uh, Justin McPhee now features as well as a mom named Victoria Garza so I want to talk about Casey Court for the last six years I think it's been since the first one came out in 2014 um, I've written and published eight books in the series and I was talking to a friend author actually Marina Maddox and she looks at me and says, you know, I think your books need a refresh. And I was like, you're probably right. She's like, your covers are from 2014. It's time to update and refresh the series. And then she said, I hope you don't take this personally. I'm going to tell you, I don't take anything personally anymore. I mean, she was right. She was right. So I sat down and thought a lot about what I needed to make the series a little bit more I think cohesive is what I want to say and um, I brainstormed a lot and then I enlisted the aid of my uh, 10 year old son who looked at my brainstorming board and he was like mommy come on can we just do this he's like I don't know what you've been doing for the last few days he was like but I'm gonna turn off the TV and let's knock this one out of the park and so we did So the books are going to be retitled and Casey Court 9, which was originally called Toxic Toxic Tort. I'm sure you've seen the cover with the smokestacks. That is history. And now the book is going to be called Poisoned, um, which reflects exactly what the book is about. Um, So the other books are going to be retitled as well. The first one, uh, Qualified Immunity, is going to be called Judged. Um, As you know, it's about Sheila Harrison Grant, who's a judge who loses her daughter to foster care. And I'm looking forward to sort of giving the series a little bit more exposure, um, reaching new readers, and sort of having a cohesive, at least as I see it now, 10 book series that sort of addresses Casey Court's evolution from sort of victim of the Strohmeyer family and the Brody family to a woman who I hope, praise God, I hope, is finally coming into her own. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Qualified Immunity, which is going to be called Judged. I have been testing out, I think, between 11 and 13 new covers. I think I may be close to a decision. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard going trying to figure out what readers click on most, and then frankly what's prettiest. And those are not the same. And I would like those to be the same. I want you to click on really, really pretty covers. But um, I'll make a decision on that soon enough. But I think judged uh, sort of encompasses a lot, encompasses not only how Sheila Harrison Grant was, but who Casey Court is, you know, she's judged by her friends, her family, The legal community. Um, And that sort of pulls across that book, where the the theme, I think, is about people making some very big judgments, and frankly, not always having the information, or not always being as either empathetic or sympathetic as they could be. But I guess that's life, to be honest. What I think, another thing I've been thinking about, um, someone recently asked me you know, why do you write the books that you do? Which was actually a fascinating question. Like 22 books in, somebody's like, why do you write the books that you do? And I looked at her over Skype or Zoom or whatever, because God knows nothing is in person. I looked at her and I had to really pause a moment. And I think what I wanted to say is that I think I tell the stories of people who have gone through difficult times. And I think, you know, after aging and reaching middle age and having a lot of time for introspection, I think that is my core story. Um, Someone who went through difficult times and God knows maybe all I'm doing is telling that same story in 22 different ways. Um, But in Qualified Immunity, which will be called Judged, I think, which was the first Casey Court book I wrote, I really wanted to talk about what it's like being a law student and being a lawyer um I was one in Cleveland, and sort of the judgment that people have around where you went to school, the kind of practice that you have, who you associate with it's it's it is so much um there are four tiers of law schools if you look at like u s News and World Report or who knows what other sources and People spend so much time discussing what tier law school you went to. Did you go to a first tier law school? Did you go to a third tier law school? Did you go to a fourth tier law school? I practiced law in Cleveland, I think, three, between three and five years, maybe five years. <laughs> I, try not to, I try to forget a lot of that. But one of the first questions any t- anybody would ask me anytime I walked into a courthouse or a courtroom is where'd you go to school? 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 And I'm going to be frank, I went to a first tier law school because at the time that kind of thing was super important to me, Um, and it's also an Ivy League school. And I would say that, and people would have to pause, because I think often it wasn't the answer they expected, or it didn't give them the, whatever it was they were planning to lord over me, they couldn't, and it was just so fascinating, and it's not a question I generally would ask because it's not germane to whatever I'm doing. Like I chose the school that I chose because certain things were important to me. People chose the schools they chose because certain things were important to them. But it's a choice. It's made. It's done. And I don't know like how many conclusions I'm going to draw from it if we're going to go to court or we're going to litigate or if you're going to be my friend or we're going to have coffee or lunch or whatever that is. I just couldn't figure out how important it was or why it was so important, but I mean it continues to be important I think probably in the legal community. I don't know in practice, so who knows. But it's something that I faced um on one end and it's something that Casey faces on the other end and I don't know she struggles with it. I mean she struggles. I mean She struggles for a whole host of reasons, but that's one of the things she struggles with. But another judgment that people often make, uh, surrounds like the kind of practice you have. And I think I've mentioned this in some books. So to be frank, if you're practicing like in-house, well, no, not in-house, excuse me, if you're practicing at a big firm, corporate law, probably, uh, not litigation, you're on the top. This is the top. This is the icing on the cake good howl hats off to you hope you make a thousand dollars an hour things are great and at the bottom is usually social security workers comp those kind of things things that people truly and honestly need but if you say to people oh i practice workers comp practice workers comp or oh i practice social security law helping people who got denied social security um, appeal or hey i practice in juvenile court with children and minors council and these people obviously need representation um, poor children who are in one system or another clearly need representation but it's considered a bottom tier job and the pay is commiserate. i mean people who are at the top are earning a million dollars a year and people who are at the bottom are earning thirty thousand dollars a year so i mean the pay reflects a lot of people's value society's value who knows, uh, the government's value, anyone's value on those jobs and it's so hard to sort of move forward or have a conversation or exist in a space where every time you go somewhere, you're judged by what school you went to and what job you have now and how much you make and those are the three things and those they ask, I mean I've been to too many, Um, lawyer lunches, dinners, galas. Balls, fundraisers, etc., And I don't do them anymore. Um, where those questions are asked and Casey, at least in, in what will be called judged is sort of facing that for the first time. You know, she's out of law school. She's pulled herself together after facing kind of a tragedy and she's putting herself out there and is meeting resistance. I don't know. Pushback, um, a lot of things. And it's, I don't want to call it like a trauma but it's just she went through a difficult time and it shapes who she is and the choices she made after going through a difficult time continue to be judged by lawyers, judges, litigants, and everyone and it's pretty interesting. Um, obviously the other two characters in *Judged* are also going through difficult things. Uh, Olivia is going through the most difficult. I mean she's removed from her mom who is abusive and is an alcoholic and is put in foster care and whether or not foster care which has its own share of horrors is truly a better environment is something i think can be deeply questioned in so many cases and i don't know if there's any right answer i don't know if your mother's like beating you or doesn't have electricity whether going to foster care where somebody might beat you or not feed you and or sexually abuse you is somehow better than the place that you were. I mean, I think the the bottom line I think I came to after practicing in that arena for a number of years is that if the government would spend the same amount of money they spent putting a child in foster care by and provide the services necessary to parents so that they could keep their families intact with whatever it is, counseling, substance abuse, parenting, whatever those things may be, I think that would be the best solution, but that's not the uh, society, culture, country that we live in. Um, And then Sheila. Oh, Sheila. What makes Sheila's life difficult? I don't know if that's clear. I think that she drinks to numb herself, as I guess a lot of people who drink do, um, whether they're alcoholics or not. It's certainly, it's a depressant, and it numbs you, and it sort of cuts off your feelings for the moment, for the day, for your lifetime, whatever that is. And I think that she kind of had a hard road. I mean, her parents were not rich, um, and she felt compelled to as many people I know do, who grow up with poor families, to do whatever they can to get out of that situation, to not replicate that situation, to not have a feeling of a lack of security. Um, And she, you know, goes to school, does the slog, does all the things that she thinks are necessary to get out of that situation. And she's not happy. I mean, she's a black woman in a time in the 80s, 90s, when law firms were, still are, mostly white and male, and not a warm and welcoming environment for black women, and in many cases, quite hostile. And she has to get through that in order to get the security that she wants, to feel comfortable. And then she marries a guy who is from her old neighborhood, who I think doesn't get that. He has this other idea that, Family is more important. Safety and security can be had um, at a regular job. And she's going over the top to seek out what it is she thinks she needs. And he may be right for him. I don't know if that's right for her. She obviously has a different drive. And they were a mismatch. And she also had to navigate that marriage. I think one of the lines in the book that I really love is that Sheila says, it wasn't the divorce that was a mistake. It was the marriage and I think that's wholly true she married somebody who did not have the same level of drive and ambition I'm not saying that they should each person can have their own but I think there was a certain mismatch and I think that mismatch grated on both of them and so eventually they broke up but this is not you know they had a child, they had a house, they had a lot of things going on and it tore left a tear, left a rent I don't know, just sort of imploded her life to some degree Um, and what she was left with was being a single mom which I'm sure she was not aspiring to be um, feeling even more compelled to wrap her life in this cloak of security Um, but when she did that I think she traded that ambition that security that need for empathy and kindness and compassion for her daughter and that's sad on so many levels but, you know, just sad and I think that she takes that out on Olivia which is unfair um, just patently unfair but maybe, and I don't know I mean, I think about this a lot but I think that maybe Sheila was unable to help herself but it doesn't make for a nice person I mean, she constantly belittles her daughter um, which I think is basically stems from not liking herself all that much. Who she was, who she became, who she is, I don't know. But it's just uh, kind of a tragic situation. Although one of the lights in Sheila's life is Peyton Bennett. And can I tell you, I have the hugest soft spot in my heart for Peyton Bennett. The chapters that he's in with Sheila, which may be only like two, three, four, touched me so much. They're my favorite chapters in the book because here was a man... I'm not going to say he was a savior, but he was a man who genuinely loved her and genuinely cared for her and wanted the best. And she was unable to see it. And it's like the hugest tragedy in the book. Maybe not the hugest. I mean, some horrible other things happen, but it's one of the biggest tragedies because I think that Sheila had this chance to sort of grasp at happiness um, with a man who had those same ambitions and same sort of aspirations um, as she did and she just couldn't hold on and I don't know it's because she didn't love herself enough to accept his love or if she really didn't believe that he could sort of defy his family and his own upbringing to marry this black woman when he's a white man um, in an era, well, that's always been... Uh, a certain percentage of marriage but it wasn't as high I think as it is now and I think that well I don't know I don't know he could have saved her but it's just one of the tragedies of the book because I feel like her first marriage probably was a mistake but if she had chosen Peyton things may have gone better for her maybe she would have been happier more settled less driven less bitter so many things that um could have changed but they didn't so she made a choice he made a choice I mean, he eventually got married to somebody else and they were where they were um, I think that one of the things that I don't talk about although I it may be at the end of one of the books or I may have written um, about this in a newsletter is that I think a little bit of myself is in each one of these books Um and to some degree or another, but very little in some books. But one of the things that I, well, I, I can say is that I grew up with an alcoholic mother um, who was um, probably less kind than Sheila. And it greatly influenced me. I think everyone says that your first book is autobiographical. And Judged was the first book that I wrote. I wrote it it took me years so many years I probably started the book in 2000 and wrote it rewrote it probably six seven eight nine ten times I mean it, it, it was it was a mess for so long um but when I finally got it right I finally got it right and published it in 2014 I probably finished it in 2008 or so but I just it was so personal and so hard to write and It was so much to put that out there in the world um, that I published romances under Sylvie Fox um, maybe four or five before I was able to love, accept um, the Casey series and put it out there. Um, But my life paralleled um, Olivia's a lot. Um, I moved from the gritty city to, um, a suburb and I was so isolated. I had not realized how isolated I was going to be from family, from friends, from the place where I was born. And my mother couldn't, I don't know. I mean, like when we lived in the city, um, with all of my f- friends and family around, uh, my mother's intensity is pretty dispersed. I mean, I spent time with this grandmother and this time with that grandmother and this time with these family members and that family members and, you know, hung out and did things and had a way more diverse life. And then we moved to the suburbs and it was just me and her. And she was struggling a lot. I'm not sure why she said raising me was hard. I don't know. I'm raising a child. It's hard, but it doesn't drive me to drink. Um, But she said raising me was hard, and I had to sit and watch her every night, like, drink herself into oblivion, and it wasn't lovely. And I really sort of, I don't know, I don't know if I felt as bad as Olivia or as an outcast or as, I don't know, but it's something that I felt compelled to write about and share, Um, Who knows, maybe because Sheila gets more of a comeuppance. My mother never got a comeuppance. (laughs) I mean, I just went to high school and I graduated and I went to college and I left and I never went back. Um, And that's sort of how I escaped that, Um, escaped in your, and physically it took a long time to escape that mentally. If I have, that's a whole different conversation, but going through that and surviving that and thriving after an upbringing like that is really hard but it's something I want to to talk about because I want readers to know that it can be hard and it can be dark but there's a light at the end of the tunnel I think for most people not everyone I mean I have the friends you know who have people in their family who died of an overdose or who killed themselves or who had a quick demise because they couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel and they couldn't dig themselves out of the hole and they couldn't see a life um, different from the one they had had but I'm living the life different from the one I had had I can see that and I just want people to know I think when writing this book that there's a light at the end of the tunnel for dark times like there's darkness and there's light you know there's abuse and there's freedom you know you can thrive after lots of different situations um and live your best life and be your true self and all the things pat phrases that people say but it indeed it's, it's it's true um with work and maybe some luck and maybe a lot of resilience um but it can be done. And it's the beginning of Casey's journey, um, where she has to try to thrive after something tragic, not so tragic, just bad happens to her. Um, and whether, and Sheila and Olivia both have to sort of reckon with a horrible thing and coming to terms with what comes next. Um, and it's not easy and it's not a pat and happy ending but bad things happen and then we go on and I think that's sort of the theme of that and what I want to talk about, from, about that book so I finished book 9 and I have a lot of time in my hands in between books um, I'm going to start book 10 soon as soon as I figure out what how it's going to be written um, but book 10 is going to be called abused and it is frankly about domestic violence um, which is something i also experienced but that's a different talk for a different time but it's something that i've been leading up to um, with some threads in other books and it's something i really want to explore um, from a bunch of different angles i haven't decided what those are going to be But hopefully in the next six months, at the end of that, um, there's a book and um, those decisions will have been made. So I hope that you have a lovely fall um, in Los Angeles. I'm waiting for the weather to cool down and be uh, a little bit more bearable for the fires to go out, um, for the virus to clear up. So many things I'm looking forward to. But in the meantime, I am writing, and, um, Poisoned, when will it be out? That is a good question, I don't have an answer. Um, The book is done, the book is at the editor, but what I need is to figure out the the whole cover and rebranding thing. So it'll be a minute or a few months before that comes out. In the meantime, you can read the first eat books Um, if you go to amy com, you can click the link or visit amy austin on any retailer and all the books will be listed hopefully in more or less series order Um, and the first six books are available on audio as well Um, retailers audible itunes local library all the places the books are available everywhere in every format you could think of hopefully um, not hardcover and not large print, but um, everything else and from everywhere else. So with that, I conclude. I um, wish you well and have a lovely autumn